As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Following a one-week hiatus, I am joined, as usual, by the one, the only, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. How are you, Bogacki? Wonderful. How about yourself? Well, I'm really well. Really Big, well. That, uh, Big Jed, uh, a.k.a. 8U Basketball Coach of the Millennium. Well, I actually, I'm the assistant coach. So uh, my brother-in-law of the millennium, my brother-in-law dude is a head coach of the year, head coach of the millennium. Yes. Um, we are, we are just wrecking the competition uh, six and oh, currently going for a season ending seven and oh, finish Friday night. So pretty excited about that. Close it out strong. I dig it. Yeah. It's all good. We, uh, we got our first fourth and fifth grade boys victory of the season last night. So that was a highlight of the year for Coach Luke. That brings my overall record in uh, four years of coaching to two, 242 and one. There was one tie in there, too. <laughs> uh, you know, we, uh, we have won a game this year, three to two uh, in eight years. So, um, not really saying that we're in the most competitive league, but we'll still take it. Uh, what, what kind of points totals do you guys usually have in your, in your league? Last night's game was a barn burner. We won it 16 to 12. And I believe that oh. is the highest scoring output that we've had this season. Oh yeah. That is a, that's, that's huge game. Really good stuff. The team that our, our opponents zoned us big Jed. 
They should know better. We got shooters. Oh yeah, you can't you can't zone outside shooting team. All right. So as we transition into the the meat of this week's podcast, we teed this up last week. It was the Ask Us Anything show. Admittedly, uh, because it's February in the world of sportsman drag racing, there's not a ton going on. Our apologies last week. My apologies last week. I got sick. Felt, I didn't feel real good. I sounded worse. So uh, we postponed the show to this week, but we've got a good one for you here on the uh, first annual, I guess the inaugural Ask Us Anything. So we'll get into that. We've got a lot of great questions from you already. We'll take more as the show progresses here in real time for those of you watching live on Facebook. Um, but first, Big Jed, we do have a little bit of actual on-track racing action to talk about. The NHRA Lucas Oil Series kicked off the 2023 season last weekend down in Orlando, where multi-time NHRA world champion Sherman Adcock Jr. got the win in Super Gas. Multi-time former NHRA world champion Kevin Helms was the winner in Superstock. Noted big dollar bracket racer Doug Foley Jr. was the winner in Super Comp. Big Jed, what are the chances? that nine months from now, we are talking about any of these racers as a wire-to-wire world champion. And if we are, who will it be that we're talking about? Well, there, there's definitely a, a, a better than average chance that we're going to be talking about at least one of these guys, maybe two, all three, not very likely, uh, not due to talent, but I'm just not sure how much Doug Foley can commit to the schedule with, uh, with his involvement in IHRA and big money bracket racing and all the things he's got going on in his life. Uh, so look, I would say, yeah, he is number one in the world right now. And that's a, that's a great place to be, but he'll, you know, I, say again, that. I haven't actually looked at the points. He might've waved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess he could have waved it. Um, but Luke, that second guy you talked about, that Helms guy, are you kidding? I mean, this guy just takes off, just doesn't even do it for, what are we talking, two years at least? Feels like closer to a decade. It's been a while. It's definitely, when I saw Kevin Helms' name on the, on the scorecard, I got Greg Stanfield vibes. <laughs> I mean, what? an awesome talent Kevin Helms is. I don't know what he was racing in Superstock. I, I doubt he was swapping gears, pulling on the shifter like he did in Stock Eliminator for so many years. But still, to come back in such a competitive category that takes seat time and skill and ability to just get in the groove and come right out and win the damn race, Luke, that's incredible. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. I believe the picture I saw, Big Jed, I think he was in the venerable Achieva that he's, I mean, I think all of Kevin's world championships came in stock eliminator, but he's won multiple national events in that Achieva. I'm going to go ahead and tee you up, Big Jed. It's early February. This is a month prior to me proclaiming that Brad Burton was the 2022 stock eliminator world champion. I'll tee you up. If you want to call it, it could be over. I'm not going to quite call it just yet. If I wanted to call it for somebody, it'd be for my boy, the Shermanator. But 
not quite ready to do that yet. Obviously a very competitive category as well for Sherman, but he's off to a great start. Really happy for Sherman. See him uh, get that first win, get that under his belt. And this is a guy they don't want to see get hot, Luke. He, Sherman just has the ability to get on a streak and a run. And if he gets started early, like it looks like he could do here, um, he could be a handful. You know, he's always in the mix, but he could definitely be a handful. One of just three drivers to own multiple NHRA Super Gas World Championships. And it feels like the timing's about right. Like he spread out those first two over close to two decades. It's been a little while since Sherman won the last one. It would be fitting for him to be the first to get number three. Yeah, I agree. And uh, definitely a long season ahead, a very long season ahead. It's just February, but I'm pulling for you, Sherm. All right. Ask us anything, Big Jed. We are going to queue up with a mic up page. Page is going to deliver some of the questions that uh, that came in from you, the loyal listener. And again, for those of you watching along live on Facebook, if you've got anything that you would like to add, we've got a list of great topics to get us started, but we'll certainly uh, be up for some live interaction as well. Yes, yeah, good stuff. I'm uh, I'm somewhat looking forward to this. Um, Maybe a couple of questions in there that, you know, I'm not, I don't really have much of an opinion on and a couple of them I've got too much opinion on. So this will be interesting. All right. Well, super excited to be here and ready to put Jared and Luke on the spot. Um, What's up, Paige? Looks like you're in Bristol. Hey, I know, isn't, I mean, (laughs) it's a great, great place to be. That's where I want to be. But it's February 8th, so it's going to be a while. You don't want to be in Bristol February 8th. No. I don't know. In the picture, the weather looks nice. Yeah, it looks, it looks, looks like a really nice day. There. It's a live shot, right? Live look. Bristol, Tennessee. Looks, mm-hmm. <laughs> looks amazing. Um, all right. So first question from JP Miller, um, asking you guys basically um, to speak on the role of the independent promoter in today's racing climate. Going first, Jed, or you want me to take this one? Well, I think you've got some comments here that that uh, you know you're you're ready to discuss, and and I certainly share a lot of this opinion as well. So, you go ahead. So, the role of the independent promoter in today's racing climate, if you ask Bill Bader Jr., he'll say that 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 role is is unnecessary. And I actually listened. It was a, it was a fascinating presentation that that Bill Jr. made. Where I heard it was at the PRI show in one of the seminars. But he referred to the independent promoter as a suitcase promoter, like traveling um, promoter. And he's got some very valid points. And something that that we've talked about it on some level in the past with here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, Jed. In that, ultimately, a an outside promoter is obviously in business to to make money. In a perfect world, that money that the outside promoter makes either goes back to the racetrack to keep the racetrack thriving, open, and improving, and or back to the racers, right? There there is a, a profit margin there that an independent promoter cuts out that could probably like for a, a a best thing for the for the sport standpoint be better allocated. I can see that argument. And if you're Bill Bader Jr. and you want to have a big dollar bracket race, basically, if you want to have any event at your facility, Bill Bader Jr. could pull it off. 
Like he's that talented. He's that respected. His his reputation holds that clout. Uh, if you're Bill Bader Jr., I don't think there's any need to entertain perhaps any um, suitcase promoter to come into your racetrack to make an event successful. But the fact is, not all track operators, not all track owners are Bill Bader Jr. In fact, I think it's fair to say that he is the exception more so than the rule. The advantage, and the, and I feel like the place, Jed, for the suitcase promoter to come in is to bring immediate equity in a given market. And I would say like, if your options are Joe Blow, track promoter, like let's exclude Bill Bader Jr. from this conversation. Peter Biondo calls, wants to bring Spring Fling whatever to your event, to, to your facility. There's a lot of value to that. Like you could post, post the same race, the same purse structure, everything. And I think Peter's going to bring more cars. Like he's going to bring more and, he, and bring more attention and immediate validity just because of who he is and the equity that he has developed within our market. So from that standpoint, I think there is and probably always will be a place for the independent promoter in today's racing market and specific to big dollar bracket racing. All very valid points, Luke, and, and certainly uh, I, I support everything you just said. You know, this is a very broad question, but the role of the independent promoter is most definitely um, a very important one in today's bracket racing landscape. Um, you know, track operators don't quite have the reach track owners don't quite have the reach that a lot of these promoters have so i think it definitely brings people from a wider uh, geographic footprint to facilities that normally would not attend those facilities if it were put on locally if the race were put on locally not that they can't do it i just don't think they they extend themselves to enough people to where they can make their event ultra successful. You do have some exceptions to the rule, Luke. You've got, obviously you've got uh, Bader, you've got uh, places like Bowling Green that are destination facilities and, and they've got good reach. And, you know, they've, they've got uh, a core group of racers that are passionate and share their their events and and get their information out there and it just increases the the spread but i think by and large the independent promoter just puts all their eggs in that that one weekend or two or three weekend a year basket to where it just drives them a little harder to make sure they get the kind of reach that they want to get and let's be honest right now the independent promoters about 80% of them are people that have been successful in the world of bracket racing that have a very wide reach across the entire country. And I just think that it lends itself to, to getting the best results when an independent promoter comes in that has a proven track record of doing what they say they'll do. So I think the, the role of the independent promoter is definitely very, very, very important in today's bracket racing society and 
you know, aside from those few facilities that can do it on their own, I think pretty much tracks need the independent promoter to, to come in and, uh, you know, if they're paying attention, they're learning from them. They're also seeing a lot different racer than they see on the local weekend races that they have, or maybe just a Saturday night race. So I think, I think it only, it only helps everyone involved by the independent promoters having these events at facilities. So I think their role is, is vital to the health of bracket racing in general. And I, you know, that's easy for me to say because I'm an independent promoter. So I would tend to side with them, but I Jed. would say, I will say that not all of them are, are uh, you know, have the same level of credibility. Completely unbiased opinion here from your <laughs> two Sportsman Drag Racing yeah. podcast co-hosts. Exactly. Completely okay. unbiased. I mean, I was going to say I'm talking to two very great um, examples of what you're speaking to. But, oh, Paige, um, am I blushing I, right here on live freaking podcasting? I mean I, I mean, I wouldn't be wearing all of this if it weren't true. So, oh, next, sweetest. next week it'll be next week it'll be summer door car so um <laughs> i won't be right, here next so, week oh well dang i guess it's good to miss it um all right next question wayne duke so luke might have some insight but uh he asked am i missing something or did champ not get teamed up with anybody or not selected or didn't want to race yeah so this is for the uh the the Summer Fling All-Star Invitational. And Wayne, you have not missed anything. I don't believe that Champ has been announced as a contender, a competitor in this event yet. I do have a little bit of inside information. I've been sworn to secrecy. Champ will be in this race. He, he, he will be he'll be drafted by one of the competitors. I, I know almost for certain. So can't let the cat out of the bag, but Champ will be in Columbus. Well, we might as well get this out here, Luke. Um... Oh, you know, okay. let's just reveal it right here. I, there's going to be two more people added to the event. There's going to be 50 total uh, to make it $100,000 in the purse. I will be brought in as a guest shootout racer. I'll be racing on the door car side. I'm going to have Champ come in and race in the dragster side. We will be the 25th team involved in the all-star, the fuel factory all-star shootout. <laughs> I just go ahead and reveal that live right here. I guess that was okay. I, I should have talked to Peter about it first, but does Champ know about this? Is he no, I haven't told Champ or Peter with yet. Team? <laughs> yeah, Champ nor Peter was has has been involved in this decision, but I just made it on my own. Uh, you know, I did text Peeps, ask him how could he pick Ray Ray when I was sitting here available. I uh, didn't really understand that. It seemed like two Penningtons could have come in there and wrecked the place, but you know, whatever. I just put myself in. I I voted myself in, and I'm taking Champ as my teammate. So good luck to you guys. Good pick. Not bad. I'm sure you're talking about for me, not Champ. It was your pick, obviously. <laughs> it may have been his too. Okay, next. I guess you heard it. You you heard it live here. There um, you go. All right. <laughs> Breaking next is yeah. Breaking news. I, I, I would love to see that. Um, I mean, Terry Creed said that Luke, he'll be your Huckleberry, you know? So as we're talking about this topic, so 
Um, all right. Jordan Pratt um, has asked thoughts on a Super Street National Championship. All right. So this stems, Big Jed, from a uh, an ongoing uh, series of Facebook posts, essentially, from one Steve Kasner. I don't know if you've kept up with this much at all, but Kasner actually made, I guess you'd say, the announcement a little over a week ago that um, that that there will be a, a quasi world championship in 2023. It's not going to be recognized by the NHRA. It's something that Kasner is orchestrating amongst super street racers across the country. And essentially, they're looking for 75 racers, uh, super street racers to uh, enter essentially at $200 a piece, which I don't think is a stretch at all. I think they'll get that easily to put together a, a points fund for the national championship that's actually very similar to what is awarded in the other Lucas Oil Sportsman categories. It'll be $10,000 to win, $3,000 to the second place finisher, $1,000 to third, and then uh, another $1,000 that they'll put toward a championship jacket trophy, assuming, of course, that they they bring in $15,000, which, again, I think is, is very realistic. Um, Kasner also kind of detailed how the points will work. Obviously, the NHRA schedule is not going to change. I believe NHRA contests Super Street at just seven national events a year, one per geographic division. So to make that attainable, basically, they're going to take, let's see the, the exact structure, um, your regular Super Street division score plus two out of your best three national events attended. And as part of signing up, they're basically awarding you two national events entry points. So if you can't make three national events, you'll at least get credit for a first round loss at the others, because from some geographic areas, simply making really more than one national event would be a, a, a pretty enormous task. So seems like a good um, setup um, in general. And obviously there's a lot of ways that we could go with this, Jed. I've got I've got some thoughts, but let me tee you up first, as that is the base premise here. What are your thoughts on a Super Street, quote unquote, national championship? I think it's awesome, Luke. Um, you know, you're talking about a category that, uh, well, I want to be careful how I say this, but they're, they're looked at as the economy class of NHRA events, uh, national events, divisional events. You know they're they're sent out first on cold racetracks. They're you know kind of told last second sometimes that, that we need you to to get up here and make this round. They're you know their fuel costs the same thing that everybody's fuel costs. Their time's worth everything that everyone's time is worth. This class has been stepped on for way too many years in an HRA competition and they deserve something like this. I wish it was more coming from NHRA and something that, that they want to do. This, this category has been a cash cow for NHRA for a long, long time. Uh, they don't give a whole lot back to this category. So I'm very happy to see Kasner and, and anyone else that's part of this mission trying to put this together. And I hope like heck they're able to, to raise this 15 grand and, and do this for the super street racers. Uh, and I truly believe 
this is going to lead to better competition and some more competitors in the category. I, I think one of the reason a lot of the people that could run this category skip it is because the the M, the, the no chance at return on investment. Uh, there will be an opportunity for return on investment with this national points fund and you know, I, I'm very hopeful it comes together and, and I'm sure it will because I think this category for another 200 bucks per racer, I, I think they're going to they're going to get that 75 easy. So happy to see this, Luke. It's long overdue and uh, certainly looking forward to, you know, a handful of these guys getting recognized on this level and certainly the opportunity to, to win back a lot of their investment. Jed, I can sum up my thoughts on this topic in three words, but bear with me because they're three very divergent words. The first, I'll echo a lot of your statements, and my first word is overdue, right? Super Street should have been awarded a national champion for probably each of the last 30 plus years, right? It's never really made any sense to me that it's always been like recognized almost as half a class. Like we're going to have this class, but it's not going to be at all the races. We're going to crown division champions. We're not going to crown a national champion. Like the only other class that we've really done that with is top sportsman and top dragster. And they, they graduated and, and ultimately got a national event or a, a, a world championship within you know the first decade of the class. Like Super Street's been around for 40 years nearly. And we've had this same kind of oddball walk the line median that didn't really make much sense. Um, I, so I feel like for for three decades, either you know, make a decision on Super Street, either do away with the class or make it a national event, make it a, a, a national link, nationally contested category, just like the other seven true sportsman categories. So kudos to Steve Kastner for bringing Super Street some of what I think it's due. So that's my first word, overdue. My second word, meaningless. And not for the reason that you would typically think that this is meaningless. Meaningless is my point here is that this doesn't, the, the point of a program like this, the point of trying to make Super Street nationally recognized isn't really to crown a world champion, at least not in my opinion. It's to make Super Street a legitimate national category, which would mean that it is contested at all or at least most national events like a top dragster, top sportsman. I would argue that regardless of the success or the notoriety of this particular program put together by racers, I will argue that it will never be adopted and never be recognized by the NHRA. Reasoning, what is their incentive to recognize it? As you mentioned, Big Ched, Super Street's been a cash cow for NHRA for years. Super Street racers have always supported the program as it sits. From an NHRA standpoint, from a bean counter standpoint, why add another category to the national event revenue, national event schedule? You make the argue, well, it's added revenue. Well, sure. But nearly every event fills the entry quota, maxes out. Like if you wanted additional revenue, you would just add 10 cars to every class that you're already paying a purse for. Why add another class and add another purse, right? Like if, if it was all about bean counting, they can make more money at national events. Um, and I just, I, the same goes for a, a national points program, right? Like why, what is NHRA's incentive to go to Lucas Oil or whoever and, and pitch for another $15,000? Like what's in it for NHRA? That's not the way that we look at it as racers, but I guarantee you that it's the way that they look at it. So that's my second word, meaningless, because from that standpoint, I don't necessarily think anything 
outcomes of this, broadly speaking. And my third and final word, so overdue, meaningless, disappointing. Not from the standpoint of what Steve Kasner and this and this group is doing, right? And not even from a standpoint of it being a, a hollow championship in terms of NHRA not recognizing this. No, I find this disappointing because I feel like as competitors, having having that recognition as champion, that's super important. What's disappointing is that from the perspective of every other sportsman competitor, like one racer on a whim, basically, put this whole thing together and it's essentially guaranteed a purse that is lucrative as the championship program in any other sportsman categories at minimum. And if this continues, like it's possible that this gets enough interest this year that the Super Street National Championship exceeds the other categories. And if this continues, I think that's actually likely. So it just highlights how behind the times the NHRA is in terms of incentivizing racers financially, right? The championship payouts haven't changed in 30 plus years, just like the event purses for the most part and contingencies down significantly while the entry fees, the cost of competition and everything else continues to skyrocket. So from a a dollars and cents standpoint, there's certainly room for, for improvement across the board. But I think it would have to come from the racers because, as I stated before, there's little benefit to NHRA from it. So bottom line, the racers who support the NHRA series aren't paying, uh, aren't racing for the money, right? That's not the reason anybody goes to NHRA races. There are benefits to NHRA competition. If you like that sort of thing, I like the organization. I like the, I think most NHRA racers like the sense of a fair playing field, the sense of a safe racing environment, the recognition, the prestige. There are things that NHRA does really well. For the racers that those things appeal to, would an increase in purses to help offset their investment be welcome? Of course. Is it necessary for racers to continue to support the NHRA? For decades, we've proven no, it's not. And so as a result, I don't think there's any incentive for NHRA to get behind something like this, but I do think it paves the path for racers across other categories to put together programs similar to what Steve and this group is putting together that could be beneficial to all the competitors. I just don't think it's, I don't want to say, I don't think NHRA cares. I don't think it's anywhere near the top of NHRA's priority list. Fantastic breakdown of this decision and and this mission Luke it's um you you hit it spot on and you know I guess there was a time when Scotty Richardson's and and those sharks raced in this category and then as it became just an impossible opportunity to to return your investment they switched to something else and there's a part of me that that thinks the NHRA is keeping it kind of low-key to to keep those people from getting in this category because I mean, reality is if, if you're going to race the mid five to mid six second uh, car on a throttle stop and try to run 10, this is it. This is your only opportunity to race that style car. There's a couple of cars that could probably step into super gas at some point, but for the most part, your faster super street cars are happy uh, in the, the space they occupy. So I think, maybe NHRA is trying to keep them out of it and trying to keep from investing more into this category and, and knowing that this is where they have the most opportunity for growth uh, 
this is where most people that aren't NHRA racers could could get involved in NHRA racing through the Super Street Channel. I mean, stockers are hard, super stockers are hard, and then who in the hell wants to get in a super comp or super gas car and, and start with, with guys like you in there? So Super Street is where you would probably see the most and quickest growth if you made this a financially beneficial category. And part of me thinks NHRA doesn't want that. They're, they're trying to keep that from happening because they really don't want 140 super street cars at eight o'clock in the morning out there getting after it and getting off to a slow start each day. So uh, there's, there's probably many, many angles to this. The entire direction of super street is kind of vexing though, because it felt like they were going in that direction and did for years. And, 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 and basically they made it the five tenths pro tree where you, you know, you didn't have to have a super fast reacting car to be competitive. And for years they eliminated racers from running super street and another category, like, and the thought at the time, like that's the Scotty rule, right? Like let's, let's get the, the ringers out of this category. But within the last decade, they've opened that back up. You can run super street in another, in another class. Like it's, again, it's just kind of like going halfway with all of it. And I feel like if you're in a tray, like, Pick a side here, you know, either, either it's an, an entry level class that is limited to maybe the division tour or it's, or, or, or maybe completely eliminated or you go all in and it's just like every other category. I, I just don't, I don't really understand the logic behind approaching it the way that they have. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly. At a, at an interesting comment, um, who would have been the super street national champion for the past five to 10 years. If there was one, that would be an interesting study to go back and find out. I I'm pretty confident in saying last year, like we crowned Keith Mayers in April. I think he held on. I think he won it. Um, it feels like a, a year or two before that we gave that crown to Brian Sawyer. It can't be division one that wins this every year, but, uh, but no, it would be an interesting case study to compare divisional scores against two or three national events and try to determine, okay, if there was, if there was a quasi super street national champion who would have gotten it the last decade, those two spring to mind. Um, but we'd have to do a little bit of research to go deeper than that. Hopefully John Rollins is, uh, is part of that group. That's, uh, that's paying to, to build that championship purse because he, he is currently leading the points he didn't with, his, with his victory in Orlando. I bet that'd still let him enter. <laughs> I bet you're right. Okay. So um, next question. This one's for Jared. So uh, John uh, Maybottom, probably saying it wrong, but would love to know about your experience at the American Outlaws live event in 2016. Tell us a little bit about that. Because I remember your uh, motorhome ride home. I think I actually watched that live feed. So we'd love to hear it. Yeah, um, uh, it was an event like no other that I've ever had behind the mic. Thank you, John, for the question. Um, this, you know, this was something that that Britt Cummings came to me with and said, "Hey, you know, we're uh, we're going to do this." Uh, Mitch Clary and myself are putting on this event, and it's going to be huge. And it's going to have all the Street Outlaws guys, and it's going to be at Ennis at the Motorplex, and you know, we, we'd really like you to announce. And I was like, but I, 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 I'm not sure you got the right guy here. I've, I've never done anything like that. And he said, you know, it's really about being entertaining and you can be entertaining. So he said, that's, uh, that's, 
you know, what we want is just an entertainer up there. So would you do it? And they, you know, talked me into it or whatever. And so I made the trip out and went out with uh, Ben Willis and Gary Tapley, a couple of guys from back here, back home. They, they rode out with me and it was, um, it was a wildest thing I've ever been a part of. Um, first it was definitely a lot of fanfare around the race that something that I had never really been involved in myself and, you know, round table discussions with street outlaw stars and all those things. And, you know, when you, when you talk about me being asked to come do a race, it's usually because of the way I run the numbers and how I relay that information to the listener. Well, the numbers was the last thing they were going to let me talk about. They, they were not having me discuss any numbers. Matter of fact, they, they taped my announcer screen up to where I couldn't see any numbers whatsoever. So um, I just basically had to take the finish line margin, which I could see, and try to guess as to how far one racer finished in front of the other. And, you know, I might have bullcrapped my way through most 99.72% of that to act like I knew how far they were getting there in front of the other one. But none of that really mattered. The announcer was fairly insignificant. So, you know, that was a that was just a fun deal where I could say pretty much anything I wanted to say. And, you know, we were we were playing on words that that type of environment hears a lot from whether it be a fan, a racer, announcer, you know, the whole gapped them. And, you know, we were talking about somebody getting gaptized and did I hear the gap ban? And, you know, it was all kind of crazy stuff like that. I was with PJ North. PJ is very excitable and had a really good time on the mic with him. You know, Lamborghinis raced uh, hot rods and monster trucks were racing on the side. And it was the, just the wildest, craziest thing I've ever been involved in. But it was a blast. It truly was. Uh, you know, I got to got to mingle with uh, a lot of the people that we still see on these no prep kings and street outlaw shows today. Uh, those guys, for the most part, were pretty genuine and cool and just living the life and loving life and um, got to see a different side of them and, you know, got to do something that probably never dreamed I would do or ever do again. But it was uh, it was a really good time. It was certainly different from anything I've ever done before. That really sounded like the PC answer to that, Big Jed. Like, what sucked about it? <laughs> what sucked about it was not being able to give any numbers. And every, I don't know, about nine seconds, once the TV started, uh, I would be on the mic rambling and having a good time trying to keep people entertained. And uh, somebody from the staging lanes and the TV crew would come over the radio announcer please be quiet announcer please be quiet we're trying to talk to somebody back here in the stage <laughs> so, so i've got the owner of the facility which was a female by the way and she's tearing my ass out of the frame because i'm not entertaining the people enough and and on the other hand i've got the tv crew yelling shut up you know please quit talking into the microphone couldn't make anybody happy i felt like i no one was happy with what i was doing whether it was talking or not talking, that sucked. And it sucked real bad. And it almost sucked to the point where I said, you know what? <laughs> We're only about halfway through this. But Big Jed can go to the damn house. I really couldn't care less. And luckily, uh, Britt talked me off the ledge. 
that felt good to get that off my chest too. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate you asking. <laughs> what? And far be it from me. Like I know in the 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 regular world in which you operate or operated as an announcer, like I'm not going to say that there are no egos involved among the the competitors involved in the competition, and and I would assume that occasionally you get some negative feedback from that group. I feel like that gets escalated pretty significantly with the with the group of on track talent if you will at, at an event like this is that is that a fair premonition or is that am i a little bit off base there uh no it's it's absolutely 100% spot on <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of ego and there there were people there that were told we need you to be here to make this a you know a good show and i think anytime you you're under that impression or that's the way the promoters uh, talked you into coming, but they talked to me into coming with their checkbook. Okay. Let's don't get that wrong. Uh, you got paid whether you did well or not, if you were the right name, but um, definitely a lot of ego involved in it. You know, they're like daddy, Dave, cool dude, come to the tower, hung out, very humble. Like, yeah, you know, these guys are kicking my ass and, you know, just no ego whatsoever. And then, you know, there was a guy that made a run down the racetrack. Uh, they call him Big Chief. He made a run down the racetrack without it being authorized by the promoters. And this was a big deal. Paid $75,000 to win. So this was a huge deal to the competitors that were invited to be there. And so it turns out he was getting his NHRA license. And he made a run in the morning of the main event before everybody got going and Britt heard it like from the pits like he heard like that was a car that just went down the racetrack and a fast one so you know he he comes unglued and he and Big Chief had a few words and Slate and Big Chief had a few words and uh, no offense to anybody but I'll tell you this Big Chief was very humble when face-to-face time came with the Cummings boys. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, he was, uh, very apologetic and, um, you know, then at the end of the thing, uh, I had a run in myself with, with farm trucks. So those guys have egos and, you know, I guess really Luke, I'm not sure you can live in the world they live in on a regular basis and not have an ego, not, you know, not feel like the show because they truly are the show. They're entertaining as hell and they're really good at what they do and not just going down the racetrack, just entertaining people. And, you know, I, I can understand them having some ego. So I, I, it was heightened for sure, but it probably still didn't meet my expectations in terms of how much ego was there. I mean, it's no different than me going to the U.S. Nationals. I mean, I know I look up in the stands and I realize they're all there to see me. Exactly. I've never had that. Yes. Good question. Goodness. I think Luke's right. Yeah, we're all there to see you. Um, Okay. So let's see. We can go with a live question or we can keep going down the list. Up to you guys. Uh, You're running the show, Paige. Okay. Um, I do want to know, so Jessica Spears did ask, um, basically wondering when slash where will y'all be hitting the track first to kick off the season? You said uh, foot break 150 a couple weeks ago, Jed. That's still the plan? 
Yeah, that looks like the plan. Uh, Big Jed's little small block is in the shop and uh, it needs some of everything looks like. And, you know, uh, supply chain is not where uh, we want it. Any of us want it. So things are going to be a little slow getting it back together. I'm hopeful to have it back together by the footbreak 150. But if I don't, then I will uh, I will have one of my spare hot rods that I can take with me down there to compete. So I would say that's going to be my first time to hit the track, Luke. My, uh, my tentative plan, Big Jed, is actually to, uh, to arrive at the same facility just a few weeks earlier. We're gonna, Gary and I are going to try to get down for uh, the opening King of the Coast event next weekend. Use that as sort of a test session for the Division Four opener, which will be the following week in Belrose. So those two, Gulfport race slash test and then uh, Belrose for the first Division Four race, which they are, uh, rumor has it, that uh, junior dragsters are going to be included in NHRA Division Four this year. So young Gary is looking forward to that. Oh, nice. So, I mean, you're basically already charging your batteries here. I mean, you're, you're about to go racing, bro. It's not far off. Good stuff. All right. So yeah, basically off season's a month now. So um, yeah. Thank you, Jessica Spears for that amazing (laughs) and good question. You're awesome. She definitely is. All right, so Patsy Hill is asking, how is um, run tracing software traction control checked at the big dollar bracket races? Big Jed, should we give them the long answer or the short answer? Next. Oh, yeah, go ahead and tell them, Luke. <laughs> that is the short answer. The short answer is it's not. It's, it's, it's not checked. It's, uh, it's not policed. The, and, and as ludicrous as that, sounds for the amount of money that we are racing for and to be completely fair um there is room for improvement in this area i think across the board um the pushback that i will give and call me antiquated the pushback that i will give is this if i were inclined to cheat to win hundreds of thousands of dollars at a at a big dollar bracket race um that's not where I would cheat. Completely 100% legal race cars in an eighth mile bracket race are ridiculously good. Like, could you make it better by breaking the rules? Probably. Could you make it significantly better? Probably not. Um, I think the I think it's fair to sh- say, Big Jed, that the vast majority of cars on the premises can go dead on at any time. Um, many, I think, can dial to within a few thousands repeatedly, run after run after run. The variable in our form of racing is not ET to dial in. The variable is on the starting line. If I was inclined to cheat to win hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would have something to hit the tree. If you're going to focus, and I'm not saying, I do not, let me be completely clear, I do not believe that, that, there, that that's going on in a rampant manner. I'm not sure it's going on at all. But if I were to, if I were to want to cheat, or if I were to want to put significant resources toward policing cheating, that's the end of the racetrack that I would focus on, and I wouldn't really waste any time on anything that makes your car go dead on. Because to be quite frank, we can do that completely within the rules. Yeah, uh, well said, Luke. I know Galen has uh, has uh, in his tech card uh, process that. You have to, uh, I guess, reply 
to the question of do you have a drive shaft sensor? And if you do, is it unplugged? And if it isn't unplugged, I think it, you know, it causes you some issues. So uh, Galen's addressed that somewhat, but for the most part, uh, I don't think this is something that promoters are checking. And I think it's for good reason. I, I don't, again, as you say, everybody can go dead on. I don't believe there's there's people out there trying to go dead on. I learned from Peter and Kyle uh, working their races. You know, they would they would start to watch somebody that's been on a stupid roll each day, and they'll start to look at things like, you know, are they are they trying to trim the finish line up when they have the advantage? Are they, you know, are their numbers just ridiculously good, or are they holding numbers and just doing a good job with that. So I learned from that to kind of look at some things from time to time at our events, but just a general breakdown of the, of the vehicle and, and checking all those things and checking for those things. Now that's, that's not something that that's happening a lot, but I truly believe it's for good reason because it's uh, I don't think there's a widespread issue by any means, if there's an issue at all. All right. So next question, Jared. Um, I'm sure Jay Codge would want to know this too, but can the burnout contest please be brought back to the WFC this year? Um, yes. Uh, we're actually talking about a burnout contest starting Monday morning after the event. Um, there will be a burnout contest then. The winner will get a, a five-gallon bucket of chili with noodles in it. Um, that is coming from Jake's Mufflers and Brakes. Uh, he is the sponsor of that, and we're really looking forward to that. I have everybody line up Monday morning and do a, do a huge burnout out in front of the tower. Uh, we won't be timing anyone. We're just going to gauge the burnout itself for the five-gallon bucket of chili with noodles. So, yeah, looking, looking forward to burnout contest against WFC. So, I think everybody got the sarcasm in that. The answer page is not no, but hails no. In case people are wondering why, Derek Yates probably knows why, or <laughs> wouldn't have asked the question. But the last and only burnout contest we ever had at the WFC, uh, there were some really good burnouts, some nice, big, smoky burnouts. And we were all having a really good time until someone crossed the friggin' center line out past the tree because they got a little too wild in the burnout. And that pretty much ended it. Not pretty much. It ended it forever. I was going to say, what year was that? I might go watch the Motor Mania. Uh, oh, man. Because now I'm curious. <laughs> I would say that was probably 2019. Maybe 2019. It's going to be right in there. I don't remember what year it was. It's all a blur. I blacked out when the car crossed the center line. And when I came to, I had the mic in my hands, calling it, calling it over. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go watch that. At Jake's Summer Door Car Shootout, like we, we literally wrecked, I'd say on an average, like, you know, 0. 0.4 cars a year between the wheelie contest and the burnout contest, if you average it out. We keep doing it. You right. encourage it. And, and I love that. But something about having it on the live feed, Luke, it just changes things a little bit. <laughs> you would probably calm your guys down a little bit if you had a live feed at the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. 
there's something about like what's acceptable at I-57 drag strip versus what's acceptable at Bristol Dragway. Like there, there's a there's a line there. I don't know. I don't know how to best explain that, but the, yeah. I think there's a difference. That's a really good point. It's like all right. So oh go ahead. Go ahead. No, nah, I just say it's like going to watch horses race at the Birmingham race course or going to watch the Kentucky Derby. You know, you you wear nice big fancy hats and pretty dresses and drink mint juleps at the Kentucky Derby and you drink 40 ounce bush lights at the Birmingham race course with blue jeans and a wife beater on. So <laughs> and and people can argue all day long, which is more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. I mean they're just racing horses at both places. All right. So the next question comes from Carl Taylor. Could it be possible to bring a big dollar bracket race to Australia? Yes. Absolutely. Next question. <laughs> now I have I no idea about, how to get that done. <laughs> I know nothing about the market in Australia. And to that extent, I don't think that me or Jed or Kyle Riley or Peter Biondo or Galen Rollison are equipped to put that on. I think no different than what we talked about earlier with the suitcase promoter. Like, I feel like you have to bring equity in that market. So I think to make it work, the 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 most operative way would be for a a big name in the Australian drag racing world to put that on and create interest about it. Is it realistic for us to to bring in Troy Williams Jr. and Stephen McCrory and Gage Birch and Jeff Sarah and put all their boat all their cars on a boat and get them over there? And no, I, I don't think that that's realistic. Nor does it have any place. But if the market will support that in Australia, then yeah, why wouldn't it work? Yeah, you know, in my head, uh, that's a very proper place to race where it doesn't matter if you're going for Saturday night or for the biggest dollar event they have. You've got to have all of your uh, I's dotted and T's crossed in terms of licensing and all of your certifications. I would assume Australia requires that no matter when you race or what type of race you're at. I don't think they have much outlaw stuff. So, I I say that to say, you know, I think unlike here, we've got a ton of customers potential, but if you just said everybody's got to be certified and have licensing, well, that's, that's checkbook suicide. Um, there, I think every customer has that. So you're, what you want to put on an event is the, is a format that opens itself up to the most amount of people that it can possibly open itself up to. And I, I think your Australia racers could all come compete. So I definitely think there's a market to, to be able to do that. I have no idea like what typical attendance looks like in Australia. I'm very envious of the no prep Kings guys getting to go over there. Australia is a, a destination country for me. I just really want to see the place. So um, if you guys do put that together, Carl, um, and you want an announcer, you know, I, good day, mate. Um, I could give it a shot. I mean, I'd work on my Australian and, uh, and you'd love to have you guys fly me in over there and, and announce your first really big dollar bracket race. Um, Australia uh, is a, is a place I'd really like to go to. So, I mean, if that wasn't enough of an audition right there, I don't know what is. So if you, if you get it done, bro, 
Holler at your boy. I'm just loving your accent, like the Alabama Australian accent. Going oh, did on. some of my Australian accent get out, Paige? Um, sometimes that just happens when I'm talking. I didn't really, didn't really do that on yeah, purpose. That's just, just how in tune I am to Australia. It's perfect. And maybe that's something you and Luke can put together. I mean, it'd be perfect, you know. Sportsman Drag but, Racing Podcast, Australia Nationals. Down under. Love it. Yeah, down under. Cool. <laughs> Love it. So I'm actually going to go off course a little bit and mix up the questions. Um, but let's see. So Anthony Hurst um, basically wanted to hear about interesting, interesting, funny stories on things that can happen on the way to the track or uh, interesting or funny stories while in the staging lanes, if you guys have any to share. Um, okay, yeah, well, there's there's a lot of stuff that can happen uh, both going to the track and, and coming home from the track and in the staging lanes. Um, I have witnessed two multi-car pileups in the staging lanes in my years of racing in Alabama. Um, both the weirdest things you've ever seen and cars getting totaled in the staging lanes. Uh, so, you know, I just say that to say crazy crap can happen everywhere, but on the way to the track, you could possibly, now I've heard of this, could possibly lose your race car off the trailer and it could possibly roll down an embankment and roll up on about a six inch pine tree and get the tires two feet off the ground where you can't drive it off of said tree and you drive the other mile and go into the gate with an empty trailer and they say hey insert name here where's your race car and you go well it's about a mile down the road up on a tree i need somebody to come with me to to, to pull it off the tree and and if somebody throws you on the back of a four-wheeler with a chain and you go pull it off the tree and drive it the rest of the other mile into the gate and then win the first time you ever win super pro uh that that night that evening those are the kind of crazy things that could possibly happen on the way to the track. Completely theoretical, hypothetical, like yeah. crazy exactly. things like that. that exactly. Happen. Yep. I haven't done that one, Jen. I thought I had some of the best, like going down the road stories, you know? I mean, I have, I have watched the, the rear wheel and tire of my dually pass me going down the highway. I still don't know where it went. I mean, oh. I think if it would have, I sat on the road, on the side of the road long enough that if it, if it would have killed anybody, I think they'd have found me. So I assume it didn't do any damage, but I, that's still somewhere in the Washington DC suburbs for all that I know. They would have tracked you down, Luke. I, I'm pretty confident in that. I was actually, I was on the phone with, with a longtime friend, friend of the podcast, Jeremy Jensen. And, and I felt something kind of wiggle, you know, I, I, that, that, that's weird. Well, that I believe in retrospect, that was the outer of the two dually wheels and tires exiting the, the truck, but it just kind of shimmied a little bit. It was about five seconds later that I was brake rotor on interstate, whatever, 
going around Washington, D.C. that I realized I got a big problem. I'm just jabbering along to Jeremy Jensen. And I just immediately, Jeremy, I'm going to call you back, buddy. I'm wrecking. Click. <laughs> I had to call him back about 15 minutes later and tell him that I was still alive. But yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. I think I've told the story here on the podcast where I got a 26 mile round trip in on a moped in middle of nowhere, <laughs> Wisconsin to, uh, to, to fix some issues on a, on a truck that had broken down on me. That was a good, that was a great weekend. Jed. That was actually on my way home from Brainerd international raceway the year that I got kicked the F out. Disqualified oh. in stock eliminated. Oh yeah, listed the wrong year on that hot rod. Got DQ, got the got the big DQ in stock eliminator. Headed home, couldn't leave Brainerd, Minnesota fast enough. Get to Wisconsin Dells and sling the serpentine belt off of my venerable F three fifty dually. Limp into a gas station the next morning. Get up, unload the disqualified stocker to get out the moped. Ride 26 miles to find the parts that I need. The best part of that story, Big Jet, I roll into small town, Wisconsin, dirt floor Napa. Okay. It's a, it's a shit. <laughs> and I walk in and I hear the man in the back. I'll be right up. Okay. So I sit on the stool at the dirt floor Napa. And this is no lie. I couldn't make this up, Big Jet. On the, on the desk. There are two sets of business cards pointed out for the patrons. Okay. And it's Ron Gibson, owner, Napa. Cool. Look over the other stack, grab that up. Ron Gibson, mayor. <laughs> Ron, Ron didn't Biden. have what I need, but he hooked me up. I had to drive another 12 miles into town to get what I needed, but he found it for me. Thanks, Ron. Ron, well connected the mayor and the owner of Napa. That dude had it going on. Well, I'm glad you got back, uh, got back up and going and, you know, thank goodness you had that scooter. I'm, you know, I'm sure 26 miles on a, on a moped is probably about as miserable as anything I can think of, but you made it work, Luke. Remember That's my what winners do. Remember my old cocky helmet is a Todd Berry design. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know what the state law was in Wisconsin. I figured you might have to have a helmet. So me and Cocky, 26 miles on a, on a moped. <laughs> looking good, Big Jed. We're looking good. That I is good have, stuff. Thankfully, I've never, been a, I've never been a witness to a crazy, I can't remember any kind of crazy like staging lane accidents, like, like you mentioned being, being involved in two or, or being witness to two. The, the damnedest thing I've ever seen at a racetrack, Jed, I don't even know if I can tell this story and do it justice. And I got to be careful here because this happened at a facility that is now, I guess, like it was under different ownership, but it is now like the, I would assume to some extent, the hub of, of IHRA. It's Jeffers Place, right? It, it, in Sykeston, this under previous ownership and under previous sanction. But uh, so it was this is the most bizarre thing. Let's see if I can see if I can tell this story. I think I told this to you at the time, Big Jed, because you know most of oh, the parties yeah. involved. I'm very it's familiar. Very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. So it was a it was a regionally big um dollar bottom ball brace, foot break or no box. I don't even remember now. And we're down to seven cars. Double O David Bell is two of them. I'm two of them in the Vega, but I'm broke. And um, no, seven cars, six cars, six cars. And uh, the Kentucky headhunter who we're, we're familiar with, and there was some local dude in like a street car. 
well, I'm broke. I can go down the racetrack, but there's something, I don't even remember what it was now, but something transmission converter related. Like if it got hot enough, I basically didn't have low gear, but if it cooled off, I could, I, I had low gear. So I decide I make the executive decision at six cars remaining. I'm going to run myself in an effort to advance. Obviously I'm going to advance one to three. Maybe I'll get lucky and get the buy run at three and I'll, I'll, I'll make the final here. That's really my only hope. So I hang back, let everybody else get to the staging lanes. And I pull in last car in line. And I even go to the other competitors and was like, hey, I'm hanging back. I'm going to run myself. Okay, no problem. Well, the, the staging lanes official is conf- I, not even really taking exception to my plan, confused by my plan. Well, what do you mean you're going to run yourself? Like, I have two entries in my room. That's not even you, possible. You can't do that. You got to race somebody. I'm like, well, I am going to race somebody. It'll be me in the other lane. Well, how are you going to do that? I'm like, well, obviously, I can only drive one car. So it ends up, this becomes a debate just out of sheer confusion. So we get the, the staging lane official is involved. The track owner is involved, who later defers to the announcer, who I guess makes the decision. Anyway, they don't, then they're not going to let me run myself. Not only are they not going to let me run myself, they determine that since double O David Bell and I are the two double entered, we need to race each other so that we're not double entered anymore. And some of this confusion goes away, even though they sold us two entries, right? So I have to now pull out a line to race David Bell. Great draw. Okay. And I'm broke. So in the midst of this like hour long debate, my car cooled off enough that I had low gear. So now my deep stage program in high, I'm like 60 red David wins. Now, the fun layer to this is that the two cars behind us are the Kentucky Headhunter and the streetcar. Well, the streetcar is in front in line. And given my situation, like, I ain't really afraid of anybody, but I, I don't know what I can run within two seconds. Do I want to get chased by the Kentucky Headhunter, who's probably going to make a pretty good run? Or do I want to run the slowest car there? So I want to run the slowest car there. Well, David Bell had the same idea. So the fun started when we crossed the finish line because it was literally a race to the turnoff. Saxton is a one lane road back through the pits. The first one of the turnoff is going to be the first one back to the staging lanes. So I managed to cut David off. I'm going to, by God, get there first. So I get to the staging lanes first and I'm paired up with the streetcar. Exactly what I wanted, right? Good plan. Well, David stops at like the back of the lanes and Kentucky head owner, Michael Crass, who he's got a reputation, Big Jed, but I, he's always, let me be very fair. He's always been good to me. He's been kicked out of most tracks in this area, right? Like runs kind of hot, right? And kicked I don't most think, of them and quit going all the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't, not one to shy down from, shy, shy away from confrontation at all. Well, out of the blue, because this is so bizarre because I ain't met anybody that don't like David Bell. So I don't know where this originated from. But I'm literally in my car ready to pull out again. And I hear crash from behind us or, or from, yeah, right beside me in the stage lanes yelling at David Bell. No, no, get your butt up here. Let's go. Done. Get back from the back lanes. Let's go right now. You don't no time to cool. No. I don't know if this stemmed from a prior instance at Sykeston where they didn't give crash time to, to cool. I, I don't know. Right. But it was just on and on and on and on. And I'm like, oh, my God, right? What is going on here? To the point, no, we don't, me and my pair, we don't pull out because it's just too entertaining to leave. Like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> and keep in mind, we are in the boot heel of, of, of Missouri. And the staging lanes are separated from the, 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 the spectator grandstand, like the viewing area in front of the tower, by a chain link fence. And there's probably 80 people behind this chain link fence and just a handful of us in the staging lanes. 
And this old boy, I mean, Boot Hill, Missouri, overalls, got his got it, fingers tucked in the overalls. He just quiets the whole crowd and he's like, Christ. Everybody got everybody's attention. Now, well, who's this guy, right? You might be a good racer. You might have a fast car. I'm about to bleep you up. <laughs> what? And he just goes to walking. Now, keep in mind, the chain link fence goes all the way through the staging lanes, right? So he's got to walk 100 feet beyond this chain link fence. And big boy is not in a hurry, but he's steady just making tracks, just <laughs> steady walking. Well, Crass has had a pretty, pretty immediate change of heart. Like all of a sudden he's calmed down. And it's alcohol, no, no big deal. No big deal. The, so the, the situation diffuses itself. And they end up racing. Well, obviously, I pulled the moral of the story for me after trying to crash to hook the streetcar. The streetcar was seven total for me. So I'm done. <laughs> Double O David Bell defeats Crass, earns the bye to the final on one entry, beats the streetcar in the semis the other. So David Bell is winner and runner up. Well, meanwhile, I'm loading everything up. My father-in-law was still in Super Pro at the time. And now keep in mind, this whole sequence lasted two hours. Like it was the most drawn out, just bizarre thing ever, right? So my father-in-law, bless his heart, he's there. At, it's three in the morning. He's racing for $700. He's waiting to go up to run the semis or whatever. And they ain't called nothing. And we're sitting there for 45 minutes. And finally, my wife is like, what is going on up there? And it dawned on me. I said, oh, they're confused as hell. They don't know how David's going to run himself in the final. And that's legitimately was the holdup. They were trying to figure out what to do with the final with two entries and one driver and one car. <laughs> and David Bell was doing his best to explain this is what needs to happen. And they were like, no, that can't happen. How are you going to race yourself? Some things in life are just too confusing uh, to figure out, Luke. You know? and, and that apparently is one of them. It was deep. <laughs> it was quite the day. It's uh, I, I would have liked to have been there and watched Uncle Jesse and and Crass tie up. I can still I remember like it was yesterday. I remember the word Crass. <laughs> you might be a good driver. You might have a fast car. I'm about to bust you up. <laughs> you know if, I, if that happened to me, I would be taken aback by it. You know, I would be shocked and confused, but. That is said to crash so much. That's really not even a big deal to him. I sat and watched a man in the staging lanes tell him he is fixing to race his buddy. And he said, Crass, if your car is idling, when my buddy comes up on the converter and stages his car, when you get back here, I am whooping your ass. You better not be idling because Crass will let you sit there a little bit. <laughs> so he told him that crass didn't even bother him crass went out there and made a good run <laughs> and won the race against a really good racer <laughs> so he just uh he's just a guy that can deal with that type of stuff i think thrives on it <laughs> oh good stuff we could dedicate a whole show to these kind of stories yes yeah, so that's why i thought that would be a good one that was that was great um okay so again i'm jumping around um but brian campbell said besides Jez nova and luke's vega and super gas bet what is your dream race car 
Jim, well, no, I, I guess it'd, it'd be little green, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, I am definitely getting to race my dream race car. Um, I'm a, I'm a Nova lover and I'm a Malibu lover. So I have one of both and enjoy racing both of them. But, you know, if, if I could just get in anything and, and money was not an object, I would want, um, like a Chevy two wagon that was really just, you know, like the Jegs, like Jeggy's wagon or something along those lines. I wouldn't have to go five thirties, you know, I could go six thirty, but it just pegged the cool meter. Um, and I'd be perfectly happy with that, but probably a Chevy two wagon is my dream car. And, uh, and Paige, oddly enough, you asked that question. The, the one that, that you and your family had for a little while was off the charts cool for me and um i can't remember where that went i know you do but um probably would would give up something uh, i've got if i could get my hands on a nice chevy two wagon i was gonna say i was very heartbroken by that because i was really good in that car but it, it did go to tanner spires um and he's um, which was actually a really cool story because according to my father-in-law, he worked, um, mowing lawns and he paid for half of that car himself. So it was pretty oh, neat. So cool if story. somebody was going to get it, I'm not, I'm not super sad. Oh, that's good. He'll take care of it. I'm sure. What about you, Luke? Similar to you, I think I'm driving my dream car. I probably, in all fairness, I don't think I would have said a 74 Vega was my dream car 30 years ago, but I think I got the baddest 74 Vega in the world and I love it. So it, that 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 one's definitely checking the boxes for me. The car that I would have said 30 years ago and I think still resonates, I'm like you. I, I think some sort it would have to be some sort of Chevy 2 if it's a dream car. My initial thought, I like wagons. My initial thought was not a wagon. I, I, and I don't, I've seen some incredible like tube chassis Chevy twos. We've actually got one in this area. Buddy Daly's got a, I think that's a McCamus built tube chassis Chevy two. It's awesome. Take nothing away from cars like that, but I'm a fan of the super stock stance Chevy two, like the, the car that Jay Thornburg currently owns that Hugh Meeks had for a while. That it, like would be right up at the top of my list as like dream car. That thing is awesome. Yeah, that car is super nice. Uh, I remember it well, loved it. And, um, you know, I, I, I just remembered that you had a Chevy two wagon and you got rid of it. I, I can tell you where that car is now. Do you want to know that? Yeah. Story? Well, that car now, find, I will find a picture for you. That car is a certified gasser, straight yeah. axle gasser. Straight axle. Yep. Yep. Papa Lynch. Papa Lynch shoeing that one. Um, cool car for sure. And I couldn't imagine a world where I had a Chevy two wagon and it was as straight and neat as that one. Obviously you were working on it and building it into or going to build it into what you wanted it to be, but I couldn't imagine a world where I had one and got rid of it. Uh, because that's really, that's probably my dream car. Just a, just a freaking cool Chevy two wagon. So I'd probably give up something I got today to get my hands on one. 
Yeah, I wouldn't mind having a do-over on that. It was actually like less of a money thing and more of a room thing at the time. Silly me thinking I needed more race cars. I needed more cool Chevy 2 station wagons. <laughs> yeah. What was that one, a 65? It was a 65, yep. Yeah. yeah. Is a 65. So there you go, Brian. Okay, so back to the NHRA discussion. Um, and I'm sure Luke would love to chime in on this, but what format do you want to see for the All-Stars? Yeah, I saw this question come across and I gave it a little bit of thought. I don't I don't think there's necessarily an issue with the format of the All-Stars. I think it's a cool format. Um, the, the seven division champions, the one blocker, very elite race like it's very prestigious to be a part of much less to win um as we've talked about here on the show like having that event as part of the u.s nationals which it has been for the last handful of years it just didn't really work in in my opinion and maybe i'm biased in 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 thinking about this because when i had the opportunity to compete at the all-stars it was at joliet and that but the vibe there was just so incredible like Yes, it was in conjunction with the national event, but the All-Stars event was the show, right? You couldn't race at the Chicago national event and not be a, a, on the fence watching the All-Stars, talking about the All-Stars, thinking about the All-Stars all weekend. Like It just seemed like a bigger deal, whereas at Indy, I feel like it had a tendency to get lost in the excitement of Indy. Like There's just so much going on there that while in the moment, the All-Stars certainly a big deal. By the time we got to Sunday, Monday, nobody remembered who won it, right? Like it was, it was just part of the marathon that was Indy and all of the excitement that, that goes along with it just got lumped in with everything else. So moving that event to a different location, I think is a win. This year it goes to Dallas. It seems to make sense to me. Hopefully it rejuvenates some of that atmosphere that I, um, you know, kind of romanticize about. Location, the All-Stars, difficult. Like I just... You're trying to draw, you, you, you've got to draw people from all across the country. So no matter where you have it, it's not going to be perfect, right? I think the only thing that makes sense is somewhere in the central time zone. Dallas is in the central time zone, right? The the Division One, Division Six racers probably don't like it compared to Joliet or Indy, but the Division Seven, Division Two racers love it, right? So I, I don't I don't know that you win there. As far as the format, like I said, I, I think the structure of the All-Stars is great. What I would like to see where I feel like there is room for improvement is just more prestige around it. Like we've come to a day and age where whatever the event is, the live feed deal works and it gets incredible eyeballs and incredible attention from our market. And ultimately that's what you're that's what you're appealing to with the Jegs All-Stars is is racers and and racers who aspire to be all-stars or aspire to run the NHRA tour. Like we all know everyone listening to this podcast is familiar with at least someone, if not multiple someone's, that will make this year's Jegs All-Stars. And I think if you made a production of that, even if it's just stream live, it doesn't have to be a national TV thing. But in, could you imagine, Jed, that production being hosted by Brian Loans or Alan Reinhardt or yourself or Ryan Gleghorn for that matter, right? With with insight maybe from a well-spoken former champion. Like, I mean, could you imagine Jed and Peter Biondo bring you the the Jegs All-Stars, right? Live from Dallas. So or, or two names of that ilk. 
make it a bigger deal from that standpoint. I think it'd be an easy sell from an advertising standpoint, you know, whether it's JEGS or Summit or some company invested in the market of sportsman drag racing, I think could really capitalize on it. But if there's one thing that we've learned from the big dollar bracket world, it's that there's a huge market for this live streaming coverage. And when you combine that with NHRA's resources and access to resources, I think they could really raise the bar. I think there's potential to make a a standalone program of this that would just be insanely enjoyable to watch and really elevate the prestige of that whole event for everyone involved. Yeah, Luke, obviously you you have a, a, a much closer view to this than than I do. I've never participated, never been to an all-star event. So, you know, just from the outside looking in, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, when it was at Indy, it, when you're looking on Drag Race Central or trying to find the results, all oh, that's just lost in there. It's so much stuff. There's so much happening at that event, and you're you're running all the way to Monday in the pro category. So that, uh, that definitely, I don't, I don't know if it just took away from the, the spotlight of those racers, but it definitely didn't enhance it. And I think that what they go through all year and the, the battles that they win to get there in their division, their respective division should warrant, you know, a lot of uh, attention and prestige, for for what they're competing for um it's uh it, it truly is the best of the best it's it's you know the people that won their division in their respective categories and they're coming racing those same foes from other divisions that are equally as talented and that's a that is a bloodbath the all-stars event is a bloodbath it's the baddest of the bad in those categories and the winners should definitely be put on a pedestal like no other in their own, uh, you know, on their own stage, not sharing a stage or, or even getting a back seat on the stage. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't know how the, the change is going to impact it, but, you know, again, from the, from a, a, a guy that's got a little bit of a different view to it, you can't help but think there'll be a little bit more time to dedicate to to shining the light on these these all-stars seems like a tough place for everybody but i guess reality is there's not a real good place and you're trying to find as central a spot as you can so um you know i imagine i imagine that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for some people but i guess all-star is always a challenge for certain divisions six seven all out through there um so all in all i think it's um it's a it's going to be a change that that accomplishes the goal and i know the goal is to to put them on their own stage and shine a little bit more light on them i hope that happens what else you got Paige? all right um i really like story time so um uh jamie abercrombie said that he basically loves to hear the old drag racing stories. They remind him of some of the great times that he had with his dad and uncles racing in the eighties and nineties. So I guess what we're alluding to here is what are your stories or what are, I mean, I can see in the notes. That's why I'm intrigued. I'm really wanting to know where this was going. 
Okay, this so, up as a way to, to close this tremendous episode, Big Jed. Give yeah, us, I think this will wrap us up. Give me your best. I don't know how far back you want to go here. Eighties, nineties, at track story. Well, I've told quite a few of my my stories uh, from the racetrack. Do, do you struggle with this, Jed? Like, I feel like I talk too much. I've told stories so many different times that I lo- I've lost track of where and who I've told. So I don't know what I've told on this show and what I haven't. I may, I may tell a story for the fourth time. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Luke, I, is it, what time is it? 724 Central Time? Are the, are the kids in bed? I mean, because <laughs> if the kids are in bed, you know, I could tell the story about when I raced uh, Bo Kenny at the, at the Gainesville Divisional. Um, I mean, that's a great story. I mean, I almost became one of the adult film stars that we, we talk about from time to time. It was on the table. For, I tell you what, this is, this is a two-minute warning. Parents, it's, it's going to get graphic. Hit pause on the yeah. old podcast. It's time. Go, go, Jed, go. Okay, so real quickly, I, I went and raced Stock Eliminator and Todd Ewing 69 or uh, 68 Camaro. And, um, you know, we, it was the first time I'd really done anything like that. And then we, we made time trials for about a week and a half, felt like. And then they said, tomorrow, y'all get to race. And, and here's a piece of paper with everybody's name on it. And you race the person that says you're racing on the other side. So I go, I go pay draw their $2 and I get my sheet and I come down, I show bones. I got B Kenny. He said, you got, you got Bo Kenny. I'm like, Oh, if, if that's what the B stands for, that's who I got. He said, you don't know who Bo Kenny is? I was like, no, I don't know who Bo Kenny is. He's like, Jed, he's, he's in, a, in the adult film industry. Sex and, Z Productions. And he, said, he said, that's what, you know, he's got Sex Z Productions. And he used to have it on his cars and trailers, and HRI made him take it off. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Now, I've been racing now for about 30 years, and, and you're telling me I'm about to race somebody for the first time that's in the adult film industry. Is he like, is he like one of the stars? He's like, oh, no, I used to do that, but now he just owns the, the company. He's producer, and, you know, he, he just makes all the real money now. So I'm like, okay, sounds great. I said, is he a pretty cool guy? He's like, oh, yeah, Bo Kenny as cool as they get. Okay, so he's in an A stock. I'm in an E stock. So I'm obviously going to leave first and I get up there and we find each other in staging lane, shake his hand. I'm Jed and I'm Bo Kenny. Good luck to you. Neither one of us mean it, but you know, good luck. Cause that's what you're supposed to say. So I've got my racing pants on and I, you know, I've got my fire jacket and I'm standing there getting ready to suit up and go race. And I put my hand on Bo's shoulder and I was like, my friends down there tell me you're in the adult film industry. He's like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, looks at me like, yeah, I'm Bo Kenny. I mean, who don't know that? I'm like, pull my pants open at the belt, pull it out as far as I can. I pull my pants out as far as I can. Let me, let me clarify that. And I said, you know, I'd really like you to take a look at this thing, see if you think I can make it in the business. And he's like, oh, okay. Okay, so you're wanting an audition. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. I said, I've maintained my amateur status now for you know, a good 20 years. And I feel like if I'm going to make a dollar, here's my chance. And I really need to start now. And he says, okay, well, 
all I got is something on the the non-straight side. That's all opening I got. I said, you know, I thought that could be the case because I feel like you got a lot of talent there at your production, and I'm in. I said, I'll I'll take it because I got to get in the business any way I can. And uh, and Bo said, okay. <laughs> he said, so you'll take it, huh? I said, yes, sir. I said, I've already got a name, and I'm going to give y'all the name kind of in code, and then y'all decode it on your own. But I said, I'm I'm going to be Nick Dibbler, but to take the the first initial from each. And he said, oh, okay, okay, Nick. So you uh, you thought about this hard, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I have. And uh, no pun intended. And I, I said, if I can work my way into the straight side, and I intend, fully intend to do that, um, I'm going to be a uh, uh, Rush Badler. And again, take those, just do the old twisty on those. So he said, oh, my goodness. He said, you have given this quite a lot of thought. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I have. And uh, I think, again, I think, you know, I probably not exactly what you're looking for, um, but I'll give it all I got. You know, I'll, I'll do my best for you, Bo. And he said, OK, well, tell you what, where are you going to be next? I said, I'll, I'll be at the Atlanta race next. The the We got a divisional, then a national coming up in Atlanta. I'll be at both of them. He said, all right, well, he said, I'm going to get with you and get you a, an, a starter kit for for an audition get you ready yes sir i can't wait so we have our fun and i kicked the piss out of him on the racetrack i mean he's he's a rich uh, uh you know adult film industry star <laughs> with with really fast stuff I, I when i left i looked back and all i saw was the bottom of his car and he's doing this big old wheelie and he was like 160 and eight above and i somehow slid in on it so you know we had our fun it's over well, we go to Atlanta and I see him in the in the, the seafood place. What's the seafood place everybody goes to there in commerce? I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, we're in there and I'm like, what's up, Bo? I said, you got that starter kit? Oh, hey, Nick, I forgot to bring that to you, man. You, you coming back for the next one here? Yes, sir. I'll be here. Oh, cool, brother. I'll get you. I'll get you. So fun's over. Okay. We're done. I, I, I didn't make it into business yet. So we get back to that next Atlanta event. And I get there sometime like Thursday evening, you know, I had to work for 11. So I, I'm going to get there and make a time trial on Friday and then get my name on the sheet. So I let the trailer door down Thursday evening so I can get the car out and go tech. The, the dust don't settle from the trailer door hitting the ground. Here comes Bo. I see him coming from about a half a mile away in the pits. He's wide open. He's hitting every bump and pothole. He's got six people on the golf cart. Looked like he'd been there all week. And he's he's yelling, hey, Nick, what's going on? Nick Dibbler, what's going on? I'm, I've got my wife and my son with me at this one. <laughs> you know, I thought I thought we were done with this. I'm, he's hollering Nick Dibbler as he's coming across and this dust trail following him and everybody's on the golf cart yelling, what's going on, Nick Dibbler? What's going on? I'm like, Hey, mm -mm, mm -mm. yeah. Uh, hey, Bo, I, I, I'll get with you, bud. I'll holler at you later on. I'll see you. I'm going to get tech. No, 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 no. I got y'all. Give me that starter kit. He, give me that starter. He, he, Luke, he reached behind his seat and he pulled out this, plastic covered what i thought was a mag light i thought it was like a police edition like the big big black like the 
when you crack them in the head with, I was like, hey, uh, 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 um, Bo, I'm gonna get with you. I'll holler at you, like, no, nah, man, here, I got your starter kit for you. <laughs> he hands me that thing, and I'm, I'm holding it like this. Can you see both my hands? I'm holding it like in both hands. It's, it's, <laughs> it's big. And I'm like, oh my God, Bo, what have you done to me? And my, my son, JJ, you know, he's like three. And he's like, Daddy, what is it? Daddy, what did he give you? Daddy, what did he give you? Like, but it's a it's a flashlight. It's a big old flashlight. And he just won't quit till I, you know, let him hold it. And like I, you know, if there was like a drop door to hell. Like if it was just going to spring open right there is where it would have been, <laughs> I would have just disappeared. Poof, I'm gone. And I'm like, man, Bo, you you've you've messed me up here, bud. You really you really didn't do me a solid on this one. And right before he took off, he pitched me this, and I'll have to tell y'all about this one off air. But he pitched me this black leather bag that said Rascal on it, and I want to tell you something. The folks at Rascal are filthy, okay? They nasty, nasty people, all right? That's all I'm going to say about it, but that is how I almost turned Racing Stock Eliminator into being an adult film star, Nick Dibbler. It's a great story because we all know people that can dish it out but can't take it. <laughs> and it seemed like Bo, like he was in on both ends of it. Like he was – he was no definitely ready to dish it back out, but <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, yeah, he's a. Uh, I don't know if he still races. I don't. I don't do NHRA racing anymore. But if you're still out there, Bo, that was a it was a memory last a lifetime, brother. Wow, that's got to be the show ender. I had a story. I, there's no way I'm following that. I should have. I should have known better than to let you go first. That was that. Well, you're more than welcome to share. Um, no, there's no chance. We're done here. Okay. That wraps us up. Well, uh, hopefully everybody got the kids to bed and, and nobody got offended by that. Cause that story could have been way worse. Uh, believe me. I mean, I, <laughs> I promise y'all, I cleaned that up about as well as you could possibly clean it up. So, and, uh, off air, I'm going to tell you guys what was in that bag, but, um, that wraps us up. We are done and, uh, we appreciate you listening. This was a fun show. This, uh, really didn't have a whole lot of uh predetermined content it was just kind of go with the flow and i really liked it i enjoyed this show hopefully you did too bogak um this was i guess at this point i I tell you guys if you you know if you want me off the show if you want me removed because of that story uh you can either send us a message right there on the sports and drag racing podcast facebook page or you can post it for everybody to see uh hashtag fire do that on the podcast Facebook page. Interact with us there. Let us know what you loved about it, what you hated about it. If you want more of these type shows, whatever, um, just let us know. Let us know what you're thinking as a hashtag loyal listener. Luke, I've seen you go to the scratch pad there a time or three during this show. So I'm saying that you've got some shouts you'd like to give out. Shouts to... Where do I begin, Big Jed? Shouts to Nick Dibbler. Shouts to Racing Horses. Shouts to Bill Vader Jr. This is in no particular order. Shouts to Team Jed and Champ. Team Champ, Jed, Jed, Champ. Shouts to Big Chief and Farm Truck. Shouts 
to Rush Badler. Shouts to the burnout contest and the five-gallon bucket of chili noodles that goes along with it, Big Jed. Shouts to the flashlight and three-year-old JJ. Yeah, Daddy, what is? Shouts to hashtag Fire Jed. <laughs> yep, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff for sure. All right, guys. Well, uh, appreciate them shout-outs, Luke. That was awesome. And um, certainly, if you like to Twitter, Luke and I are active on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We loved having this show with you tonight. We appreciate you tuning in, and we can't wait to talk to you live real soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>